Thank you, ladies in Jackson, for leading us in worship. Gotta make sure we throw that in there, man. Appreciate you. Cool. Well, uh, if you guys are not already, be headed over to Philippians. We're going to continue in our walk through the book of Philippians. Uh, we're going to round out chapter one. Uh, feels like a milestone. I know someone's like, yes, finally, for a couple weeks into this, we're going to finish a chapter. Uh, so verses 27 through 30. Um, I know we've said this a lot. Uh, if you've been with us, maybe this is your first time with us. Uh, what we do here at the branch is we exposit through scripture, meaning we walk verse by verse all the way through scripture because we believe deeply that that is the best way for us to see who God truly is. Uh, the reason why we exposit through scripture and walk verse by verse is because we believe the Bible, all 66 books of the Bible to be the inspired an errant and infallible word of God. We don't unhitch ourselves from any of it. All of it is inspired. We believe that God is not working in mysterious ways, that he has revealed himself to us through his word. So we look to the word this morning and God is going to reveal himself because he's inspired it. We also believe that it's infallible, that if you put your trust in it and what God says about himself, that you will not be let down. We also believe that it's inerrant. So despite what we may hear from society today, that the Bible is uh, full of you know, circular reasoning or logical fallacies or that there's uh, parts that contradict each other, we have 2,000 years of church history. We have brothers and sisters in Christ that have gone before us that this has withstood the test of time because we believe that Scripture is a redemptive narrative. We believe this, the common message through all of Scripture is God redeeming his people back to himself. We believe that scripture is about the good news of the gospel. The gospel doesn't just save us from something, our sin in the past, but the gospel is also the future. It is that God is saving us to something. But why you're in Philippians right now, why we're walking through this right now, because the gospel is also the good news that God has saved us to something. And what he has saved us to is what we've entitled this sermon series, To Live as Christ. So if you're a man, woman, college student, wherever you are in the room this morning, that your purpose is to live as Christ. As someone has brought the good news to you, your purpose is to take it to someone else. So that's why we're in Philippians, because I know me. If you guys have hung out with me long enough, you know me. You don't want my words this morning. If you're coming in here this morning, you're heavy, you're, you're longing to hear from the Lord, you're wanting truth. If you look just to me and my interpretation of Scripture and to me just using Scripture to prove it, I'm going to let you down. Any guy here that's going to put on this microphone will. So what we try to do is just pull it directly from Scripture. So as we're in Philippians this morning, what I believe the Lord would have us pull out. So if you take notes, if you're writing down what I believe the Lord would lay before us this morning, as we go to live as Christ, before we can do that, I believe he wants us to consider our relationships with one another inside the body of Christ. It's our relationships with the people sitting right side by side with us, those that the Lord has already saved. Because if we hope to take this good news of the gospel to live as Christ, we first got to look at our relationships together because we do this together. So let's look to the example of the Apostle Paul. Um, in these four verses, 27 through 30, I believe that Paul uh, gives a clear depiction of what it looks like for the church to actually be 
the church as they go hand in hand in unity to do this. So if you take notes, uh, primarily what we're asking this morning is this question, we'll have it up on the screen for you, is that do we believe, uh, well, so we'll get into that one here in a little bit, sorry Tristan, um, is when we're talking about unity, is the word unity the best word to describe our relationships with other Christ followers? Is the word unity the best word to describe our relationship with other Christ followers? And again, we believe that scripture shows this this here. So let's read, get into the word, and we'll get after it. So picking up in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So Father, that's what we're here for this morning is unity. God, would you remind us as we dive into your word that we are first united to you, that everything that we see from your word is an encouragement out of that. So, Father, would you speak truth through us this morning that we, as we praise you through looking at your word and seeing what you have done, that we would praise you all the more for what you will do in our church here. So, Father, we love you. Thank you for first loving us. It's your name we pray. Amen. So, as we're trying to wrestle this question down to the ground, if the word united is the best word to describe us with our relationships with other Christians, uh, we got to understand a little bit of context here. So, Paul is writing an encouragement to the Philippians. So, if he's writing an encouragement, there's obviously discouragement. If he's talking to them about unity, there's obviously disunity in this body that's happening here. And that's coming from two different places. Primarily, it's coming from outside of the body, from the Roman Empire that's oppressing the church in Philippi, trying to put to death the gospel. But the one that is most, most concerning to Paul and that we can probably learn the most from in here this morning is the disunity that was happening in the body there. You see, as Paul was thrown into prison, it left a leadership vacuum in the church in Philippi, a brand new planted church. And leaders were trying to come up and just grasp for for power and really talk bad about Paul, cut Paul down, and try to create tension and division in the body. And that into which is Paul is writing this context and what he is saying, he starts by using the word only in verse 27. So Paul is going to go on for most of chapter 2 with an encouragement. If you guys are looking to be united, only one thing. Keep this one thing in mind. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's saying only let your manner of life, let your actions be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now if we're not careful, what we can do in the room this morning 
is read that. Only let your manner of life, let your actions be worthy of the gospel. And if I were to take that verse out of context, I can easily make it mean that you need to live in a way and act in a way to make yourself worthy of the gospel. You see how easy it would be to do to say, let your manner of life show that you deserve the grace of the gospel. But thankfully, we know from Paul's own words in Ephesians 2, he says that grace is by faith alone that this is not about works for justification. He is calling them to do something. He's calling to let their life be a manner worthy of the gospel. You see what he's actually pointing to here, the manner of life in the Greek there. Uh, we lose it in translation. What it's actually Paul referring to, the Greek word there, is the Greek word we get from polis or city. You guys ever see the Greek word polis, like where we get metropolis from, metro city? What he is saying to the Philippians is, as you are Roman citizens, you have certain responsibilities. As a Roman citizen, as your identity, you do certain things for the Roman government. You, you pay taxes. You uh, live under Roman rule. You do certain things because of who you are. And what Paul is saying here, a better way of reading that is, let your manner of life show the worthiness of the gospel. So maybe this will help us make sense. So for me, one of my identities, as the Philippians have an identity as Christ followers, as Roman citizens, one of my identities is a husband. So as a husband, as that's my identity, I do things that show that I'm a husband. So I wear a wedding band. I do that because of my identity. Something else that I do is when I fill out paperwork, uh, this is a fun one, is, uh, yeah, I get a laugh in the back, yeah. Um, when I fill out paperwork, I check the box saying that I am married. It's something that I do because of my identity. When I talk to people, I tell people I am married. It's stemming from my identity. So if one of you single college guys puts on a wedding band, and starts filling out paperwork saying that, I don't know why I'm looking at Jack and Alex here, so I just see you guys doing this, I guess, so you, you fill out paperwork. If anyone would do it, it would be you guys. I love you guys. You're my interns. Um, you, if you were to put on a wedding band, fill out paperwork, and tell people you're married, does that actually make you married? No, because you see our actions cannot determine our identity. And that's what Paul is encouraging the Philippians here, is if they're seeking to be united together, they have to first remember their identity, that they are Christians, that they are Christ followers. You see, it would make no sense of Paul saying, live a life that's manner, that's worthy of the gospel if you, they're not Christ followers already. So what Paul is doing here, he goes on in a list of four things that he encourages the Christ followers at Philippi to do in order to live a life in unity with one another, in order to combat the disunity that was going on. So if you underline in your Bible, let's go through these together, and we'll see how we can apply these to our life. So Paul continues in verse 27 saying, So that whether I come and see you are an absent, so if the Lord allows me to live, or if I die, I may hear that you are, and here's where those lists start. So first thing we see is standing firm in one spirit. Number two, with one mind. Number three, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And number four, not frightened in anything by your opponents. Those are the four things that Paul is encouraging the church in Philippi to do in order to remain united. 
So Paul's argument here is the same thing that he says in Romans 15, to remember that you've been united with Christ first if you hope to be united with one another. He says this, verse 5, may the God of endurance encourage you Uh, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of their identity, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. So the only way we can stay in unity, the only way we can with one voice lift high the name of Christ, the only way that we can welcome people is because we have first been welcomed. We have first been brought into the family is what Paul is saying to the Philippians here. Uh, Charles Spurgeon would say it this way, and you guys can give me a hard time. I know all I do is quote Spurgeon, but he's a pretty good dude. He's a prince of preachers for a reason. Uh, He says this when it comes to unity in the body. Unless I can leave off loving Jesus Christ, I cannot cease loving those who love him. That we have got to love others because they are loving Christ. In our relationships with one another, if we hope to apply these four things, if we hope to wrestle to the ground the question in our own hearts, if, are we truly united with other Christians? The question we've got to ask ourselves is this. Do we believe that we are all one in Christ? Do we believe that our relationships with Christ are individual? Do we believe that Christ has saved me and Christ has saved you and we're not called together? Or do we even understand that we have been knit together into a family? Do we understand that we have been united with Christ first? That's why as Paul's going down the list, the first thing that he says that had you underlined there is standing firm in one spirit. Now, your translation may have spirit as a lowercase s, as in the spirit of like spirit of Christmas, a feeling, but most translations and commentators believe that what Paul was referring there to is the capital S spirit, the Holy Spirit, God, that if we hope to be united, the first thing that we have to understand and see is that we've been united to Christ first, that we are one in Christ, that you and I are doing this thing together. So we don't just come in here on a Sunday and hang out. We're family. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians, is that we are members of the same body. We may be hands or foot or different things that we're given to do. The Lord has given me the gift of teaching, but he may have given you a gift like he's given Brendan his encouragement. He's got, I'm in a DNA group with like, I believe that every time I spend time with him, I'm encouraged. He does things I can't do. We've got to do this walk together, that the Lord has called us to be one with Christ. We need each other in this walk. Peter would say it this way, and I know we don't have these verses for you, the Lord's just bringing them to mind. In First Peter, he says that we are all living stones. He calls us living stones that are being built up into the same household, that we are not just individual stones, but collectively Christ is doing something with us and knitting us together into one family. But as we start thinking individually in Milledgeville, Georgia, here in our classrooms, in this church, the Branch Church, and asking ourselves that really tough question, are we going to be honest with ourselves? Are we truly united together? Maybe the first thing we should consider is what Paul said after that is, are we with one mind? What about our thought life together? 
I don't know about you, I was talking to Jonathan about this before the gathering, is that uh, I may not act on my thoughts, and I might not tell people what I'm thinking about some of my other brothers and sisters in this room, but I can tell you, the Lord's convicted me, I'm not unified as much as I should be because my thought life is not always positive. I don't know about you, do we get so frustrated with one another Do we get so angry with one another and looking at our shortcomings or we remembering that we're one in Christ, that we don't have to be perfect because Christ was perfect for us, that we are all in this together and we're going to fall short and we're going to annoy the mess out of each other at times. But what does that thought life look like? Is it a, a negative thought life of are we thinking that this person is not worth my time? That person is a little bit rough around the edges. I don't want to be seen with that person. That person talks way too much. That person doesn't talk at all. Like, imagine these are some of the thoughts and some of the things that's causing the dissension in the church of Philippi. So for us, if we're hoping to go and live on mission, how are we going to go together and proclaim the goodness of the Lord if we don't believe that he's actually changed us and he's changed us together? We can't, because that's why, like, we are designed, as we said at the beginning of this, the whole purpose of this series is to go and to carry the good news of the gospel. That's why Paul continues when the the next thing that he says is striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Side by side. In our united together for the faith of the gospel, are we going together? Are we doing this lane, lone ranger routine where it's us against the world and we go and we feel good about ourselves because we can check a box because we shared the gospel with someone or we found a mission opportunity where we went and served those less fortunate than us? Are we truly doing this side by side? As you're asking yourself that question, am I united with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Maybe the question you have to ask yourself is what's keeping me from being united? Is it my pride? Why won't I work side by side? Is this more about me and how good I look than it truly is about the advancement of the gospel? When I go and do good Christian things, is it not about being united side by side for the advancement of the gospel, but so that way I can look better than I actually am? It's a way of self-protection of not actually admitting our sins. It's not operating out of that identity like we talked about at the beginning. We go and do because of who Christ was first for us. Maybe for us, if we're not united, maybe it's not pride. Maybe it's, maybe it's self-deprivation. Maybe we look at other Christians in this body and say, man, they're a varsity Christian. They share the gospel better than I ever could. They could uh, talk to people better, far better than I ever could. They know more scripture than I ever could. Their theology is better than mine will ever be. And we cut ourselves down and we don't go side by side because we are idolizing men and not God. That it is God working through us as we go side by side. It's so important that we have these relationships together. We need each other as we seek to advance the gospel. And Paul knows this. This is why Paul is encouraging the Philippians. It's why he continues on in knowing that some of these Philippians could be feeling discouraged or overwhelmed. That's why he continues at the tail end of verse 28 by saying, This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. 
So that this there that we just said, that this, if you draw arrows, you can draw those arrows all the way back up to those four things we underlined. That this, the walking in unity, depending on the Spirit to be unified together. The only way we can do this is we're dependent on the Lord. And Paul is saying this unity is a clear sign. It's a clear sign to both us as Christians and those outside that would seek to, you know, squelch out the gospel to stop what the church at Philippi was doing. But this sign is from God. That God is using this as an encouragement within an, ex- an encouragement. So maybe the best way I can say it is this is, uh, how many of you guys watch college football? Any? A little bit of everybody. Cool. We're in the South, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it doesn't even have to be college football. It can be really any sporting event when uh, you know that the game is about to get out of hand. You know what I'm talking about? Where you know for at one moment one team is clearly going to win and one team is clearly going to lose. There are telltale signs of that about to happen. Something we call momentum is one of those telltale signs. Uh, things like body language, the team that's going to win, they're all high-fiving each other, they're running, they're jumping around, they're celebrating. The team that's going to lose, another telltale sign of that momentum is they're walking back to the huddle, their shoulders are slumped, they're not talking, they're fighting with one another. What Paul is saying here in the same way as there's telltale signs of your sure salvation, of their sure destruction, that if you are indeed walking in unity with one another, it's a sure sign of your salvation. It's a sure sign of their defeat because you're not doing that on your own strength. It's a sure sign that God has clearly worked in your life. Jesus would say it this way in John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the things that we do are a sure sign that Christ has indeed saved us. Jesus is not heavy-handed legalistically saying here, if you love me, you're going to do these things I'm asking you to do. You better do it. Jesus is saying, because you love me, these are going to naturally happen. John 15, 5 would say it this way, that I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. John 15, 5. He's saying you will bear fruit. It will happen if you abide in me, but if you don't, you can do nothing. The brother of Jesus would say it this way in James. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Again, this is a verse that sometimes people will use as saying that scripture contradicts itself but it's pretty evident what James is saying here. He's not saying that his works save him. He is saying because there is true salvation that has happened in his life, that works will follow. That because he is in Christ, because his identity is a Christian, that it naturally happens. So what does this have to do with us in our unity? What is this encouragement that we can have when we're looking here as a sure sign? So, Maybe this is just an encouragement with an encouragement here for our unity. If we are truly striving together, if you're already plugged into a missional community, if you're in a DNA, if you come to the branch and you're plugged in and living life on mission, as we launch partnership, which most churches call membership next week, if you're plugging in and doing these things, if there's that want bubbling up in you and it's not out of obligation but because of what Christ has changed your life, Maybe it's time for you to finally take a deep breath and say, this is a telltale sign that Christ has indeed changed my life. Because I don't know, it's, 
I've talked to so many people in the course of ministry that are just doubting in their faith. That has Christ truly saved me? Has Christ truly saved me? Am I truly saved? And maybe this is a good moment for you and the Lord to have a heart to heart and say, to look back up the fruit that he has produced in your life and say, no, you, you have been at work in my life. I can put this to rest. I indeed am your son or your daughter. But if we're on the other end of that spectrum, as much as that can be an encouragement, that let the word of truth rest on your heart this morning. If you do not see an overwhelming desire to do as Christ did, the question you have to ask yourself this morning is, am I truly in Christ? Do I truly have a relationship with the Father if I don't have the overwhelming desire to be where he is and do what he has designed me to do, and that's to live life advancing his name? Is this a telltale sign if I look back at my life and I see it riddled with Sunday school and church ministries and college ministries, and all I do is talk about God, but I truly don't see the marks of a changed life in my own heart? Have I been playing Christian? Have I been playing and falling victim to this cultural Christianity, or do I truly have a relationship with the Father? Our actions bear witness to our heart. As a tree, if it is truly alive, season after season will yield fruit. Same goes for the Christian life. If we see a tree year after year after year not bearing fruit, what is that tree? It's dead. James would say the same thing in the verse previous, that faith without works is indeed dead. So for us, if we are wrestling this question down to the ground in our hearts, of if we are truly unified, the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Do we believe that unity is a byproduct of grace? That if we are truly being united with one another, if we are side by side advancing the gospel, do we believe that it only comes because grace first came? Are we working white-knuckled, legalistic, and trying to do things on our own strength? If you are, you're tired. I know you are. If you're trying to do this without resting in grace and in brothers and sisters that the Lord has designed you to do this with, you will grow weary. That's why we put such a huge emphasis on community here because we were not designed to live this Christian life alone. That Christ, the perfect lamb of God himself, exists in community with God the Father and the Spirit himself. If God exists in community, why do we not? If God is one, why are we not one? If we have truly been united with Christ, We've got to see that we've been united together in doing this and resting on grace. Not to say that we don't go out and do our part as far as what the Lord has called us to do, to live a life consistent with the gospel. But if we're not doing this resting, we're going to burn out. That's what Paul understands here, that we've got to do this together. That this Christian walk, we've got to be united. That's why he continues in verse 29 by saying this. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe 
but also suffer for his sake. Don't let that go over your head that he says, been granted to you belief and suffering, that both of those are a good gift from the Father, both the belief and the suffering. But they were suffering for his sake. Verse 30, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still have. So when Paul is talking about this conflict, I could give you a really good illustration, maybe, uh, maybe not, uh, but I think the best thing that we can do is learn from the example of Paul's life himself. Because in verse 30, when he says, engaged in the same conflict you saw I had, I think it's important that we see what he was talking about. So hold your place there in Philippians, but if you want to turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts 16. Acts 16, 20 through 30. So as we're talking about unity with one another, why it's so vitally important to have one another in unity as we seek to advance the gospel, there's a clear illustration of someone's life who needed someone else as he advanced the gospel. So this is Paul and Silas as they are starting the church in Philippi. Picking up in verse 20, it says this. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, and so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke, he saw the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights. And rushed in, trembling with the fear, trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Why it's so important for us to be united here. We can learn from the example of Paul. Paul had Silas with him. As we get to see here in verse 29 and 30, that we've been granted not only belief to believe in Christ in this room this morning, if you are suffering like we've talked about over the past couple of weeks, that that suffering has been granted to you as well. But do not bear that weight of suffering on your own. You have people in this room that God has placed in your life to suffer alongside you. That although that Paul was beaten and Silas was beaten and they were stripped naked and they were put into inner prison and into stocks, they praised the Lord together, singing songs of hymns and praise. And the Lord moved. The gospel advanced. The jailer was just the first of many that came to know the Lord because of the perseverance of these men. So 
when we look at discomfort or suffering, especially within the Christian culture today, um, I, I don't know if you guys know who Matt Chandler is. He's a pastor out in Texas that I really respect. He would say it this way when it comes to comfort. He would say, comfort is the God of our generation. So suffering is seen as a problem to be solved and not a providence from God. That suffering is given to us for the advancement of the gospel. That as Paul said earlier, that we strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. That suffering and belief has been granted to us, not for us, but for the sake of Christ and for others. So as we apply this to our life, we got to ask ourselves this morning with unity this question. And I have Tristan, you'll throw that up on the screen for us, this question that we've got to apply to our life. Do we believe that God has unified us with other believers to help us suffer faithfully so we can together advance the gospel? You have been given one another even in the middle of your suffering to advance the gospel. So if you can't honestly answer that question that I feel connected and close and intimate with a body of believers, not just because I do that on church or on on Sundays and go to church, but if you truly can't say that, Man, our encouragement to you, man, join a missional community, join a DNA group, become a partner because that is what we are doing. We're not members, we are partners as we side by side, sacrificially pour out our lives together for the sake of the gospel in our classrooms, in our jobs, in our families, that this is what we are here to do. If you can't say that you're truly feeling united, our invitation to you is join in in what the Lord is doing through the Branch Church all throughout the week. Your discipleship does not stop when you leave here on a Sunday morning, but it is designed to continue through your every walk of life. If you don't feel close to someone else in this room, my question is why are you not in a missional community? if you feel disconnected from other believers because you have this secret sin that makes you feel like if someone knew you that you couldn't really be close to them, that you would not feel varsity-level Christian, my question to you is, why are you not in a DNA group and holding someone else accountable to the same thing? They're going to be confessing the same thing. If we can't truly feel that we're united, the best way that we could describe ourselves is spectators are you feeling more like a spectator in the christian walk and if you are you will never sacrificially pour out your life because it has not changed your life so if the gospel is just something that's only worth a few hours of your week you're not going to plug in you're if it hasn't truly changed your life you're not going to feel connected But if it has truly changed your life, this is not a plea for us for you to join in and do what we're doing. This is a plea from your pastor to you for your discipleship and for the advancement of the gospel. Because what we are designed to do, my plea to you is to grow you up and to equip you into the fullness of the Son of God by the power of the Holy Spirit through us in this church body that the Lord sanctifies us in community. If you're trying to do this on your own and just coming in on a Sunday, this is never going to fill you up. 
I'm not a good enough teacher. We're not cool enough as far as hip. Our music is never going to be fulfilling enough for you. The only thing that's going to satisfy you is the person and work of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for you. So if you're not feeling united, I would ask you to be honest with yourself in this moment. Is Are you truly united with Christ first? Because if we truly do this, if we take this encouragement from Paul to a church in Philippi that was disjointed and fractured, and we apply what he asked us to do, we believe this word is not from just Paul, but from God himself, that it is inspired and errant and infallible. What would it look like if we actually lived this out? What if we, as Christ followers, pressed into community? What if we were gut-level honest with one another in our sin struggles? What if instead of going to concerts and going to all these great good gifts of the Lord, that we were more focused with our purpose and not satisfied with the temporary pleasures? We would press into community and know that there are 40,000 people in Milledgeville. There's 8,000 college students, and how many of them are dying apart from Christ? (laughs) Every three seconds, someone in the world dies. And we know that this is eternity at stake. So my plea to you is to press in and to walk into the true joy of life because the true joy of life is you were designed for this. I don't care what you do with your future if you're a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer. If you join our leadership pipeline and plant a church, your direction and purpose of your life is to advance the gospel and you will be unsatisfied until you do it. And you can't do it on your own. We do this together because together we are the church. We are the hope of the world, but we can't do this on our own. We rest in what was first done for us on the cross. So our first step that we can take this week as Christ followers is to, if we are already not, press in, unite as a body. The only thing that holds us together, the catalyst, is Christ but would you press into, if you already haven't, join a missional community. If you already are not being a DNA, if you're already not, consider partnering with us for the gospel as we start partnership classes next week. And if you are already doing those things, I consider, as we talked about our mental thought life, that one mind side by side, of asking and being honest with your DNA missional community of where you are falling short. But if you in this room are not a believer this morning, your first step is to ask the Lord to unite you with him, to open your heart to see the glory of the gospel. Would you be so bold and so gut-level honest with yourself this morning if you never really truly understood the weight of the gospel, of what Christ did for you, not what you do for Christ. That your life is to be live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Would you be honest with yourself enough? And in these moments as we continue in worship and as we continue in worship through communion, 
that you would seek me or Bailey out. We'll both be at the back by the communion tables. If you're weighing through in your heart what it truly means for Christ to have saved you, and you believe he is speaking to your heart or he has done that as we've sat here this morning, would you talk to us? We'd love to celebrate with you. If you have more questions, we'd love to answer them. If you just need someone to pray with and say, maybe not, maybe not at this moment, the Lord is still churning in my heart, we'd love to just talk to you. But for us as believers, as we continue into worship, would we remember today the only reason we have hope is because Christ united us with him by dying on the cross. So as we take of the bread, we remember, as Christ said, this is my body that was broken for you. And we would take. And that we would remember as we take of the juice that Christ said that this is my blood that was poured out for you. And that we would have true, genuine worship in our heart. That we, even if we're feeling isolated in this room, we're feeling isolated from other people, we are united with Christ. So we'll pray and communion will be open. So Father, thank you. Thank you for your word that you have not left us as orphans, but you have given us a truth to which we can rest our entire lives on. So Father, it's our heart to want to see this community changed for the sake of the gospel and changed by how you change communities like Philippi, how you change communities like we saw in Acts 2, that we would be together daily as the branch church, that we would have all things in common as the branch church, that we would not forsake the fellowship and we would study your scriptures daily with glad hearts and rejoicing. Would you, only you can, will you add to our numbers daily? So Father, thank you for not leaving us alone, but reuniting us with you by pouring out your blood on a cross and taking our place taking on the wrath of God due our sin is the best news we could ever hear. And as one day, as we read in your word in Revelation 21, there will be more tear, no more tears, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more sin, that we will be able to look at sin and death and mock it and say, oh death, where is your sting? Oh death, where is your victory? It's swallowed up in defeat. And that's only because of what you did on the cross. So would you unite us together? We can't do this on our own. Would you unite us together for your glory and your name? Father, we love you, but thank you for first loving us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.